television show on A&E called Hoarders. And this show scares me. Uh, Katie really likes this show. I don't care for it so much. Every time she is watching it, and I just happen to, to walk into the room as she is watching this show, or I happen to look up from the desk where I am studying, and she's watching Hoarders, my stomach just gets really queasy. You would not believe, or maybe you would, the amount of junk people accumulate. <laughs> like I said, maybe you would, maybe you would. Maybe you're one of these people, and maybe I, need to, maybe I need to cool it. But people accumulate so much stuff. We'll put it that way. We'll make it a little more pleasing to the ear, a little bit more palatable. Stuff. People accumulate so much stuff and so much trash and so many animals that the house they live in, the property they live on, it's hazardous. Hazardous to their health. Hazardous to the lives of others 
living there and governments have to come into these properties and, and they have to condemn these properties because they're hazardous not only to the family or the person who chooses to live there but they're hazardous for the whole community right uh, and so the people who run the show hoarders they go in and they, they basically have an intervention they are interventionists and they say look you are going to have to change or die or have your children removed from this house or continue living in this filth that you've been living in that is causing you to have asthma and that is causing you to experience anxiety and that is causing all of these psychological problems. And so they have this intervention and sometimes people are able to overcome this hoarding disorder, this compulsive disorder, and sometimes they are not. And when the interventionists who run the show go back to visit the same house, sometimes years later, people have reaccumulated all of this stuff and the intervention did not work. Over the past couple of weeks, we've, we've seen how God is the great interventionist. How we can be spiritual Hoarders regarding the things of the world and regarding the things that we think are spiritual, we accumulate all of the spiritual stuff and we and we hold on to to it. We've seen how God has already defeated the nation of Israel. He defeated the nation of Israel before the Philistines. And he defeated the nation of Israel in order to accomplish his own purpose that Eli's household would would be put to death. Hophni and Phinehas in battle, and then Eli, as he reacts to the news that his sons have, have died. God has this intervention moment with the nation of Israel, because the nation of Israel is sinning, and the priests, Eli's household, Eli's family, they're using the sacrifices that are being brought by the people. They're embezzling from this. They're, they're using God's law as a platform on which to build their own kingdoms. And they're trying to mix God's law with the ways of the world. And they are using human religion to try and gain for themselves. And so God has an intervention the Philistines, God gives them victory on the battlefield and they capture the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, and they take the Ark of God back to their own territory. It would seem that, that they were victorious over Israel and victorious against the God of the Israelites. So they take the Ark in and they set the Ark next to next to Dagon, their idol, in Dagon's temple. And to shorten the story just a little bit, it wasn't long before Dagon was prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. And Dagon, this idol, this false god, had been decapitated and his hands had been cut off. And the trunk of his body lay prostrate before God's Ark. God had defeated the false god Dagon. But not only this, the Philistines, the people of Philistia, they, they started to break out with tumors and people began to, to die and rats began to plague the, the cities that the ark was moved to. God had not only killed the false god, but, but God had also oppressed now the Philistines. And so God defeated his own people as a matter of intervention. And now God is also intervening in the lives of the Philistines so that, as we learned last week, they might know God's power, God's strength, and the riches of God's glory, even though they would never know God himself, and even though they would never come to understand God and and this is where we are at in our in our current text. This is the next passage of of scripture. And the Philistines are just they're trying to to get rid of this thing to exile God from their land after they symbolically brought God into the land by bringing the Ark of the Covenant in. 
I want to look at the text for today, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, in three parts. First of all, we'll look at verses 1 through 3, and, and we will see what the focus of human religion is, man-made religion. We will see what the focus is. In verses 4 through 9, we will see what worship is like in man-made religion, in human religion. And in verses 10 through 12, we will see how God is claiming His own glory even in the midst of man-made religion, human religion. First of all, we see chapter 6, verses 1 through, through 3, and we'll see the focus of human religion. Now the ark of the Lord... Been in the country of the Philistines seven months. These people had been suffering for seven months under the wrath, under the, the oppression of God. And the Philistines called for the priests and diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. And so we've already learned that the, the Philistines, this this people who are left in the land of Canaan. God sovereignly leaves the Philistines in the land of Canaan according to the book of Joshua and the story told there so that the Philistines will be a thorn in the side of the Israelites and so that the gods of the Philistines will become a stumbling block to the Israelites. And we've seen this play out over the last couple weeks. We have already learned that the Philistines um, are addicted to their form of works-based religion, this works-based sort of righteousness, this legalistic sort of religion. And they worship the false god Dagon. And when they captured the ark, they wanted to add God to the religion that they already had. They wanted God their way. They wanted God in their context. They wanted God to be relevant to them. And we talked about the danger of striving to make God relevant in culture and in society. Here, after they had been oppressed for seven months, the, the Philistines, still relying on their works-based human religion called spiritists, called diviners, to come and to, to advise them on what to do, to tell them what to do to end God's oppression, what to do to make them successful over God, as if they hadn't already learned their lesson in trying to do that. Now, a diviner um, is someone who either relies on outward signs or inner revelation to provide answers. In our day, diviners would be equivalent to, uh, say, mediums or tarot card readers or people who interpret signs, um, people who do astrology and say, oh, this is your sign, so this is what's going to happen today. And we see those things in the newspaper. All that, those are the methods of diviners. And so the Philistines, they call their diviners to come and provide them with some answers. Now, according to God's law, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 26, and in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 and 11, divination is outlawed. God does not desire for people to receive their revelation from anywhere other than from, from Him. And so divination is outlawed. Um, the, the use of the methods of mediums and tarot card readers and astrology. All this is outlawed according to God's law. God wants us to receive our revelation from Him and from Him alone according to His Word and according to the revelation of His Holy Spirit. And so here the Philistines, first they, they break the law of God. And we're going to learn in a moment that they know God's law for, for some reason. They, they, have, they have been exposed to the law of God. But here they break law, uh, God's law in order to try and appease God or to please God or to try and have victory over God or, or to try and have power over, over God. And the, these diviners will give them some, some advice. In fact, we read this advice in, in verse 3, the very next verse. They said, the diviners, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. 
Now, the guilt offering is described in Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It's how we know that the Philistines were at least familiar with God's law because they said, okay, to appease the God of the Hebrews. Let's do what God requires according to the Hebrew law. But you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. And so here we, we see the focus of man-made religion, human religion. The Philistines were were expecting the God of the Hebrews to be like they had defined their idol, Dagon. That if they do certain things, if they do certain things according to the instructions that they perceived God to give, then first of all, they would receive wisdom. They would know the reason that God was oppressing them. And second of all, that they would be healed from the oppression of this God. And in modern day religion, we see the same sort of of focus when it comes to man-made religion. Uh, we, We worship God thinking that it is our worship to God that somehow causes it to go well with us. It causes things to go well in in our Lives. This is the way that the Philistines were worshiping. If we worship God, if we sing to God, if we pray to God, if we do our best to keep God's law and to check off this, this checklist that God has given us, that God will be pleased with us. Look, if we look forward, if we read ahead, if we look into the future from 1 Samuel chapter 6, we'll get to 1 Samuel chapter 7, and we'll see that even after this offering gets back into Israel, back to the territory of Israel, God in His sovereignty is still oppressing the people of Philistia. He is still oppressing the Philistines. And so whatever the Philistines were trying to accomplish by by doing what the law says according to their diviners, they they failed. It's like this law that God had had given was not meant to be a, a checklist. Right? And we learn... Almost every week, I think, that, that the law, the Old Testament law, was not given as a checklist. It was given for us as a mirror that we might look to this law, and we might see our reflection in this law, and we might see our imperfections, our impurities, our sin. We might see our insufficiencies, our depravity, our wretchedness, and we would see that it is impossible for me to keep this law because my nature causes me to choose things that are not in line with God's law. And this law was meant to lead us to the truth of grace, God's grace, in Christ Jesus for our salvation. And through 1 Samuel so far, we've even seen the the truth of the atonement. Right? These Philistines here who are saying, do this and appease God, or do this and claim victory over God, do this and claim power over over God, do this and, and somehow God will be convinced to stop oppressing you. Somehow they didn't realize when when looking at the law of atonement, when looking at Leviticus chapter 5 verses 1 through 6, somehow they didn't notice verse 6, which, which says that a priest chosen by God according to His will and His purpose must make atonement on behalf of the person who has done wrong against God. The whole point of atonement, the whole... Atonement is that we can't seek atonement for ourselves. It is something that we are incapable of of doing. We can't give enough. We can't make the right sort of offering to God to make atonement for our sins. We can't make up for our sins. We can't do enough penance to, to cancel out our sin. We can't pray a number of times a day 
facing a certain direction and, and somehow have our sins forgiven because of, of what we have done. No, atonement must be made on our behalf. It must be made for us because we are incapable of making atonement. And of course, all of this foreshadowed Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross when He would make atonement for the sins of His people. What the priest was, was doing in the Old Testament would be fulfilled in Christ. Christ would be the final, the eternal high priest, the great high priest. And He will hold this position forever. And He is the one who offers atonement on behalf of His people. On behalf of His people. Nevertheless, the Philistines, they, they come up with this plan according to the instruction of their diviners. And they're going to follow through with this, right? Even though it's not going to make a difference. Still, they are trying to do what they perceive to be the things of God described in God's Bible in their own way without understanding what God has actually said, without getting it, without knowing God. Ritual, brothers and sisters, means, means nothing without relationship. Doing r- religious stuff, singing, even singing a certain type of song, means nothing if atonement is not already made on our behalf doing all of these things that we consider to be religious, they mean nothing if atonement hasn't already been made on our, on our behalf. Our attendance in church, our participation in, in church, our growing up in a, a Christian household, our trying to do good things with our life, that stuff means nothing unless we are first atoned for in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Without atonement, religious practice is vain, meaningless. It does not profit us. This, I think, is why so many people are fleeing the church today. Even healthy churches. Right? Because without atonement, People go to church and they try and participate in religion because they hear that this is a good thing to do and that, oh, I need to be a part of that. But if there's no atonement for them, then there's no interest in, in the things of God. No interest in the things of God. Verses 4 through 9. We see what worship is like in man-made religion. So we see the focus of, of human religion. And the focus of, of human religion is, is simply this. I need to do some stuff in order to achieve some stuff. I know you enjoy this technical language. I need to do some stuff in order to achieve some stuff. Do A, B, and C, and you will live a happy life, and you will be satisfied, and you will be successful. Do you want to make a million dollars in a year working from home? I'm going to show you how to do that. Good luck. I tried that once. It didn't work. The focus of human religion, do some stuff, accomplish some stuff. Do this thing in your church and you'll reach this demographic. You'll reach this sort of person. Do this and you will be on God's good side. That's the focus of man-made Religion. Now we will see what worship looks like. If this is the focus of man-made religion, then worship in man-made religion, human-centered religion, follows this. And we see verses 4 through 9. Then they, the people of Philistia, said in response to the diviner's advice, What shall be the guilt offering which we shall return to him, God? And they said, Five golden tumors, interesting, and five golden mice, 
according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you shall make the likeness of your tumors and likenesses of your... These just sound like more idols to me, don't they? Of your mice that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps He will ease His hand from you. If you do this, you will achieve this. If you do this, you will have success. If you do this, your life will be easier. If you do this... God will bless you and make you happy and successful. Perhaps God will ease His hand from you, your gods, and your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When He had severely dealt with them, did they not allow the people to go? And they departed. Now therefore... Take and prepare a new cart, a cart that has never been used, a cart that has never been tied to cows, and two milk cows on which there has never been a yoke. And hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. Take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you return to him as a guilt offering in a box by its side then send it away that it may go watch and here's where they start seeking secret knowledge outward signs that diviners always seek watch if it goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh then he has done us a great evil But if not, then we will know that it was not His hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. And so the diviners give this instruction. And by this instruction, they were seeking to understand why things were happening, and they were seeking to understand by very worldly means, means of of divination. And they were trying to follow the love of God in order to appease God. And this is what worship looks like in churches where the focus is is human-centered, human-made religion, religion that does not profit. We worship this way, and this is our tendency, right? We've already described how this sort of worship seeks something from God. God. We make ourselves the central focus and we make our preferences the central focus and we get so caught up in the way we think things ought to be or should be. And we cling to sacred cows. The music has to be this way. That piece of furniture has to stay in this spot. We have to have the bulletins printed in this manner and this many of them. We get hung up on those things, right? This is the way the Philistines were worshiping, and this is the way worship looks in human-centered, man-made, man-made religion. We've already stated how this is a foreshadowing of the atonement that will be that will be present in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I have to say this in response to the text this morning. If we are holding on to sacred cows, or on the flip side of that, if we are trying to figure out how we can add to Christ things that are not Christ in order to, in order to make what Christ is doing happen faster or happen here, I don't know, do this and grow your church. We're trying to add to Christ. That's just as bad as clinging on to to sacred cows. Two sides of the same coin. Right? Look, if we are doing this, then we are clinging to and we are striving for something other than Jesus. And if this is what we are doing, I am not sure that we can call ourselves Christians. 
Do you want to know about the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ? Turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 28, and we'll just walk through this together. But now, that means now, now is a time that comes after what was then, what was in the past, but now, apart from the law, this is after Christ, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested in, in whom? Jesus, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. There we see it. The law and the prophets were a witness to, to Jesus. The whole reason we were given the law and the prophets was because they were a testimony to us who was coming. Verse 22, Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. No distinction between, between who? those who believe in Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female. All who are in Christ are equally in Christ. There is no distinction. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works. There is no distinction. Verse 23, For all, every single person without exception, except for, of course, Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the very thing the law and the prophets were meant to reveal. We look into these things as a mirror. Being justified as a gift by God's grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Redemption through some offering. Redemption through some act of worship. Redemption through adding something to Jesus in order to see what we perceive the work of Christ to be done? No, redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing is added to that. It's just, it's only in Christ Jesus and simply in Christ Jesus and sufficiently in Christ Jesus and efficiently in Christ Jesus and wholly in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God displayed publicly on the cross as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate whose righteousness? His, God's righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, God passed over the sins previously committed. And whose forbearance? God's, not because of an offering given, not because of a sacrifice made, not because of some worship that we have presented to God, but in the forbearance of God alone, God passed over sins previously committed. Verse 26, For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness, so that His righteousness may be seen, as opposed to our unrighteousness, our sinful nature, for the demonstration of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just, and so that He would be the justifier of the one who has faith in in Jesus. Verse 27, Where then is boasting? A rhetorical question, and Paul employed the rhetorical question quite often. Where then is boasting? And the answer is, if this is the way that God has been working things out, and I haven't done a single thing to, to receive this redemption, to be declared as just by God, who is, who is the only one who is just and the justifier. If I haven't done anything to receive atonement for my sins on my behalf through Christ, where then is boasting? I can't boast. Yet we see with the Philistines that they were thinking, if we do this, we can accomplish this. If we worship God the way that God wants to be worshipped, then we can get God on our side. He'll give us a pass for what, for what we've done. Boasting is excluded. By what kind of law is boasting excluded? Of works? No, no but by the law of faith. And so faith is something that is different, entirely different from works. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. 
So if we want to know about true, real atonement for sins, it is something that we can't we can't grasp it for ourselves. We can't earn it for ourselves. We can't sacrifice to gain it. We can't worship for it. We can't do things in such a way to get God on our side. Atonement must be made on our behalf, and that atonement is made in Jesus Christ for the people of God, for those who are chosen by God and called by God. So worship, you walk into any church building, walk into a mosque, visit a Hindu temple or a Mormon temple, go to any religious place and observe the worship there. And the worship of the people, the motivation behind worship and the methods of methods of worship reveal much about someone's belief in God or the gods. And human-centered, man-made religion always uses worship as a means to accomplish something. Whether it's sacrifice or songs or giving or prayer. Human-centered, man-made religion always uses worship in order to try and accomplish something. Unless we think that the people who claim to be irreligious are off the hook, everyone is religious. We just worship different stuff. And people worship knowledge and intellect and charity, philanthropy. People worship those things, success and money. And even in the secular world, we see the same human-centered, man-made religious practice in worship. That if I worship those things, if I gain knowledge, knowledge is power. If I gain money, then I can buy the things that I want. If I worship charity, then I can be recognized for making the world a better place and gain some sort of status. People worship all kinds of things. And then that makes us just like the Philistines here. And God is intervening with the Philistines, defeating the idol of the Philistines, frustrating a people who are trying to accomplish things by worldly means. And the Philistines are still rejecting God even though He is intervening in this way, the same way that He has already intervened with His people Israel for their, for their spiritual hoarding. We don't know what the response of people who love and are called by God is yet. We'll get there in the next passage. You have to wait till next Sunday for that. Hoarders, Season 1, Episode 2. But in this pas- passage, we're, we're going to see the very real reaction of people who don't love Christ, who are not called by Christ, who don't love God, who are not the people of, of God, when God intervenes with them. We've already seen this in part, right? The people exile the things of God when God begins to kill their sacred cows. But we see another part to this too. We'll see it in verses 10 through, through 12 as we consider God's glory even in the midst of man-made, human-centered religion. Then the men of Philistia did so. They followed the instructions of their diviners. And they took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. They put the ark of the Lord on the cart 
and the box with the golden mice and the likeness of their tumors and the cows took the straight way in the direction of Beth Shemesh. They traveled as the crow flies. They went along the highway lowing as they went and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines followed them to the border of Beth Shemesh. This was not chance. And now God was making sure the Philistines knew this did not happen by chance. Philistines, I am the one oppressing you and killing your idols. So the Philistines, they sent the ark away. The ark crossed over the border into Hebrew territory. And we see, first of all, because God is showing the nation of Philistia that this was not by chance, God is earning renown for Himself among the nations. Even though this people will never follow Him, God intervenes even in the lives of unbelievers And when they reject Him, He still receives the glory for that because He is working all this together, right? God is the one doing this, so God is the one who receives glory and there is no room for boasting when it comes to us and the work that we think we do or the things that we think we can accomplish on God's behalf. The Bible isn't about us being lifted up, us accomplishing something on God's behalf. It's not about us being elevated at all. And here in this passage, we, we see this. There's a twofold response of people who are not chosen and called by God when God intervenes. The first is this. I'm going to hold on to my sacred cows, those things that I love more than I love God. I'm going to hold on to those and I'm going to justify my holding on to those and I'm going to defend those sacred cows even though God kills them, destroys them, murders them. I'm still going to hold on to those things because I don't believe that God is sufficient. And the second response that we do See, is that those who are not chosen and called and, and consequently come to love God and worship God in spirit and in truth, those, those people who do not love God are trying to add what God has because they recognize His power to the ways of the world. And we see this weird sort of hybrid Faith, and, and you can recognize this if you look in so many churches in the modern day. I, it breaks me. Breaks me. Because we prove to love something more deeply than we love Christ. And we think that we can add to the Word of God by any, by any method of human ways or the ways of the world. We prove not to love God. In the story up to this point in 1 Samuel, we have seen God's sovereignty at play. At every turn, God is working things together. God is intervening in the lives of believers by defeating believers. God is intervening in the lives of unbelievers by defeating unbelievers. And the response of believers is vastly different from the response of unbelievers. But God is still the one we see as working all of this out. I have often wondered why it is that unhealthy churches seem to thrive in the world and why God doesn't just zap them. Why God allows false teachers to keep teaching instead of you know, causing them to have a heart attack or something. I often wonder why healthy churches seem to suffer a little bit more. Why God would allow dictators who are tyrannical in their reign over their countries to continue on living 
and oppressing their people. And I often wonder why God, who is one God and who has one Bible, would permit so many different religions and viewpoints to persist in the world for for so long, for such a long period of time. And as we read through this story, we see that, that God he has chosen one nation. Other nations exist. He has sovereignly placed the other nations in the land of Canaan and allowed them to stay for one purpose. And it's that His strength and His power and the riches of His glory would be known, just as we discovered last week in in the text. And so we do see unhealthy churches, false churches even, thriving. And we see idolatry. And it seems like the people of God are, are suffering. And we see religious viewpoints that really are all the same, just using different terminology and different names for the different gods that they have. All practicing this human-centered, man-made worship. And this is true in in the Christian religion, just as it is true in, in Hinduism and, and Islam and Catholicism and Mormonism and Baha'i, Scientology, and Iglesia and Cristo, and any other religion you want to stick right here in this in this blank that we see. God has ordained all of this. God has ordained that the strong be strong. God has ordained that the current president be the current president. God has ordained that kings and emperors reign as they do. And God has ordained that one nation rises above another. And God has ordained that a certain people experience oppression. And God has ordained that those who are smart are smart and those who find it really difficult to grasp concepts find it really difficult to grasp concepts God has ordained all this for one purpose on this earth and it is that he might be known that we might know something about God that God might be glorified that he might earn renown for himself the gospel of the true God, the universal God, the God who is both eternal and timeless, the God who paints the sky every morning and evening, the God who intimately and intently chooses to have a relationship with His people and affect their hearts. The gospel is about God not about us and we see so many people get that backwards right and the gospel is not about us attracting people to a certain building that belongs to a certain organization it's not the gospel No, the, the church exists to be a picture of Jesus Christ as the body of Christ. Not as anything less than that that would try and attract the world. We are the body of Christ. The gospel isn't about making people known. The gospel isn't about revealing people to God as if He didn't know we're here. The gospel isn't about elevating people. The gospel is about making Christ known. About exalting Jesus Christ. About doing the work of Christ. About submitting to Christ and repentance to Christ on our part. That is the gospel. That God is saving a people for Himself, not merely for the purpose of us 
going to paradise. What a shallow view of the gospel that is. The gospel is about God saving a people for himself so that he might make known the riches of his glory to them. The gospel is all about God and the work he is doing and about making him known to all people, both those who will believe and those who will not. That is why we preach the gospel to all people. Because God is God of all people. Here we see the picture of bad religion. And bad religion is practiced by people who claim to be religious and people who claim to be irreligious. Even by people who call themselves by Christ's name. And we see the results here. And people who cling to their sacred cows, and maybe there's some introspection that needs to go on here, some self some self inspection. Maybe we need to take a personal inventory, right? If we cling to sacred cows, then we are loving something more than we love Christ. The obvious question is, what sacred cows are you clinging to? What sacred cows am I clinging to? And the flip side of the coin, those who do not love Christ, those who do not belong to Christ, are always trying to mix the law of God with human ways. Because for some reason we think that it is up to us to accomplish the things of God. And it is up to us to convince people to receive God. No, atonement must be made on our behalf. That is the only way, the only way it happens. And so we ask these questions of ourselves this morning. We ask, we ask these questions of the church at Sunsites and in our personal lives.